Welcome to this special edition of the O'Reilly Podcast. I'm here with my friend Ben Sharma, co-founder and CEO of Saloni. We'll talk a lot about uh, some of the issues facing uh, enterprises around uh, big data, particularly uh, big data and business intelligence. So welcome to this podcast, Ben. Thank you, Ben Lorica. It's great to be here. Uh, okay. So first, I just wanted to kind of get a baseline of where we're at in terms of uh, kind of the mainstream adoption or awareness of the term uh, data lake. Uh, is there still some confusion between what's a data warehouse and what's a data lake? A very good question. So we're seeing that more and more enterprise customers are increasingly embracing this concept of data lake, and they have a very clear distinction. Sometimes they would call it like landing zone. Sometimes they would call it uh, data hub. Sometimes they would call it um, the, or, or uh, data lake. So there is um, increasing awareness in terms of the data architectures that they're putting in place for the next generation use cases. And then and, and that's being driven by a lot of new use cases, which are greenfield opportunities. But then they're also considering replatforming uh, things that are aging, things that needs to kind of be uh, sunsetted and uh, redone in terms of not just supporting their existing uh, models, but also being able to leverage some of the new data sets and things like that. So that is where we see um, customers using that as a driver uh, where either it's greenfield use cases for net new revenue generation and net new business opportunities, or it is trying to replatform some of the existing use cases, but with new data sets and being able to generate uh, additional insights in an agile way where they're thinking of a data platform that could um, kind of ingest data from various different sources and could form this data lake architecture. So for an organization which has uh, come to rely on their enterprise data warehouse, how much of a learning curve is there to go from uh, the data warehouse concept to uh, a full-blown uh, data lake uh, project? Sure. So I think there are a um, couple of different um, aspects to that, right? So uh, the data warehouse vendors have done a great job over the years to kind of abstract a lot of the things and to provide a um, SQL interface on top of it so that the BI tools or um, developers can come in through that SQL interface and query the data. I think the aspect from Data Lake is that uh, there is a wider set of usage where the data can be queried through SQL means, but then the, you can also come up with a very complex machine learning algorithm, for example, and you can run that natively in the data lake without having to take the data out into a data a separate data store like a database. Um, so uh, it opens up more doors, but at, at the same time, you also need to think about some of the aspects that are not available in the data lake that are, that are available in the data warehouse in terms of kind of the whole uh, data management and data governance and those kind of things. So how do you kind of uh, have a balance between the two where you are able to structure from an organization enterprise perspective some top-down kind of models from data management, data governance, and at the same time also encourage innovation 
from a bottom-up perspective where your citizen data scientists or your data consumers are able to use this data platform in an agile way for the things that they need to do. And SQL queries could be just one of those things. Uh, there could be other usages of that platform. So that is kind of how we see um, kind of adoption for people who are familiar with a data warehouse type of architecture uh, where they're now trying to kind of uh, include data lake as part of the next generation data strategy. So tools and platforms like uh, what you folks have built at Zaloni obviously uh, help drive adoption, but uh, I, I suspect there's still somewhat of a learning curve, right, in terms of uh, people who come from that enterprise data warehouse background to these more modern architectures and and uh, kind of this wider variety of data sources that you described. Sure, yeah. I mean, there is um, um change in mindset that needs to have because now you may be not thinking about kind of uh, the data integrity up front and the data quality things that you used to rely on a data store uh, like a relational database uh, would do as you ingest the data. You're able to kind of get the data in very easily without all those checks and balances. So you need to think about how you would then enforce some of those things as needed for driving different use cases and get kind of good data to drive the insights that you need. Um, so you need to think about those and the tools and the platforms that needs to be in place to kind of enable those kind of um, use cases. So are you seeing anything in terms of uh, data stored in the data lake? Is the nature of the data stored uh, evolving over time? Sure, yeah. I mean, one of the trends we have seen is that um, the data lake, the driver for the data lake will be uh, one or two use cases for which the data uh, may be very um, kind of enterprise-oriented and they're bringing in data from existing data sources, but they're trying to break down those silos and are able to create a rich data model that they couldn't do very easily in their existing data environments. Um, but then, uh, once those one or two initial use cases are successful, it opens up a variety of other use cases where now you may be bringing in completely unstructured data, like a bunch of raw text, for example, um, and like in a healthcare setting, you're then doing, say, uh, feature or entity extraction and then trying to kind of map it to a taxonomy model and then uh, associated with electronic medical health records um, so that you can know what is in the physician's notes, which were uh, blobs of text uh, that was brought in as part of uh, what you're capturing in your clinical information system. So that's like one very good use case that we're seeing where uh, being able to create a rich data model based on some of the unstructured data like physician's notes, along with structured data like EMR records coming in from a uh, Epic or another um, EHR system um, to create something new that you couldn't do before is is interesting. So you're a gristled veteran of the data landscape, and uh, for I think for a while now we've been hearing about people using unstructured text as as you described it in in, in the healthcare uh, example. So is this becoming more common now, Ben? Um, I think 
unstructured text without very specific business insights that you can use um, in a constructive manner for uh, specific use cases is challenging. But if you have unstructured data, but you have very specific uh, outcomes that you need to get out of that unstructured data is getting more and more common. Um, so one of the things I, we have seen in the past is that some customers would try to mine a lot of unstructured data to do sentiment analysis. But in the end, if you don't have a business value that you can get out of that sentiment analysis to actually drive business outcomes, it becomes challenging in terms of adoption and, and being part of the core set of use cases that you're building on the platform. So in other words, you end up generating these sentiment analysis reports and people stop paying attention. Yeah, the thing is, what, what happens next? So I, you always need to think from a business perspective, what are the things that you would do if you had, say, sentiment analysis, first of all, how good they are, how reliable they are, and then how would you take the, that outcome and drive change in the organization or drive change in how your customers are experiencing your service so that they are able to get better service or better customer experience end-to-end. -end. So I think those things needs to be taught out in terms of the end-to-end -end business impact that you'll have out of a use case for the uh, use case to be successful in a Hadoop environment. That's why I, I actually like that example you cited, which is from healthcare and you have entity extraction and you can immediately see that the there's some value in that, uh, taking uh, unstructured text, in this case, maybe notes from physicians and mm -hmm. mining them for these uh, entities and just getting a sense of trends and, and, and stuff and things like that. Right. And then there is a very kind of important use case hiding there, right? So um, a lot of these EMR data and then healthcare uh, clinical data gets coded for certain conditions and things like that. But the doctor may have put in some notes. So, so for example, a patient is coming in for diabetes and they're being treated for diabetes and so on and so forth. But the doctor may have put in something in the notes that may also augment the fact that this person doesn't just have diabetes, but they also have XYZ conditions, which may create more complications and things like that. So being able to extract that information, being able to augment it with an existing record and then being able to do something about it in terms of raising a flag or checking them for more things before you discharge the patient so that you do not incur penalties in readmission um, of those patients are the things that actually make uh, impact from an outcome perspective for a patient care or from a business perspective where you're not fined for readmissions because you're able to provide um, a better outcome and thereby reducing the readmission risk. I know another vertical that you have done some work in is finance. So uh, are you comfortable sharing some uh, use cases from that uh, sector? Oh, sure. I mean, one of the things, I mean, there are multiple use cases in finance, right? Uh, one of the things that we are seeing in a very repeatable manner is this whole compliance with um, the Basel committee Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. For, for we just had a supervision. we had we just had a long blog post about that in terms of uh, how these modern architectures can really help you uh, with compliance, but also probably extend your capability. But one thing that one takeaway for me is how complex these regulations are. 
Yeah, so it's it's not that bad actually if you when you try to kind of peel the covers and get into what ex exactly is needed. So think about this. It's very simple. What Basel Committee for Banking Supervision BCBS 239 says is that if you are a financial services institution and you have multiple lines of businesses where you're taking on risk, whether it's mortgage, whether it's retail, whether it's investment banking and others, you need to be able to bring in all this risk data together to create a consolidated risk profile of your institution so that you can decide how much capital you need to carry so that if the there are macroeconomic downturns or whatever that you do not go into um, an environment where you're at risk of insolvency that you have enough capital to kind of offset the risk that you're carrying across different lines of businesses because each line of business will do their own risk calculations and own risk modeling and then have own capital requirements and they may they... even have their own IT systems exactly oh they are so siloed because um, I mean just um, kind of the ledgers and other things that they're maintaining are very siloed for each lines of businesses so there's no consolidation um, to provide an aggregated view across the organization. So now what they're trying to say is that you need to have that aggregated view so that you can then, um, based on the, uh, those uh, aggregated risk models, you can then decide what capital needs to be um, carried by that financial services institutions, thereby defining their capital requirements and uh, stress testing in a stress testing scenario. So that's kind of the premise, right? So now, how do you do that from a technical standpoint? You used to have all these siloed data stores, and now you need to start thinking about bringing in the data from all these siloed data stores into one unified environment, and then being able to kind of come up with these risk data models uh, and the reports that are needed for risk reporting and define who has access to which reports and how they would use it to interpret their current state of business and how they would kind of um, use uh, it to kind of feed back into how much more risk they can carry and things like that. So Hadoop makes perfect sense because you're able to ingest data from all these different risk warehouses or risk data stores from different lines of businesses. You're able to create these aggregated data models and then you're able to create these specific reports out of it that you can then feed to different consumers, if you will. And at the same time, the challenge, where the challenge comes in Hadoop is that at the same time, you need to be able to manage the lineage and governance and things like that, because you need to be able to trace back why you need to carry X, Y, and Z amount of capital. Uh, why is the risk looking like this? So that you're tracing it back to the source system, if you will, and uh, having end-to-end -end visibility of how the data is flowing across this platform. And my understanding is that uh, also in the past, you it was hard for you to get a real clear uh, estimate on the bank-wide risk because you had all these silos and uh, yes, and uh, with Hadoop and Spark and all of these tools, you can now easily make these calculations. That's exactly right. Um, so the other topic I wanted to cover is cloud. So Gartner recently surfaced some client research that indicated a huge increase in mixed cloud and on-premise data models. 
what are you folks at Zaloni seeing in your client base? Yeah, that was uh, an amazing piece of research, uh, which I think um, kind of opened the eyes for a lot of people. Because everyone, when they think about big data and Hadoop, they're thinking, okay, how do I build an on-prem cluster and uh, use this infrastructure and use this distribution and so on and so forth. Um, but what they found out is that majority or, or significant amount of these deployments are now happening in the cloud. And more importantly, there is a significant portion of them that are hybrid with a cloud to ground strategy that a lot of these organizations have, as Gartner calls it. So basically, there are on-prem clusters and there are clusters that are being spun up either on demand or uh, somewhat statically by different lines of businesses. So what's the typical the situation there, uh, Ben? Uh, the clusters that get spun up on demand just do kind of periodic calculations or what's the... Yeah, so there are a couple of different trends there, right? So one trend is that there is a lot of data that has been generated from outside the organization. So think about this, um, a car manufacturer has their own enterprise data sources on who their customers are, what their manufacturing data looks like, and so on and so forth. But as these cars get smarter with sensors and things like that, they are starting to send data back to the car manufacturer. Um, so that that is not a problem that these car manufacturers had to deal with earlier. Um, but now there is, as they sell each car, they are, each car is generating so much data that they need to be able to consume and provide analytics in terms of being proactive in terms of service maintenance, being proactive in terms of various other things that they are providing as a service. So in order to consume all that data, wouldn't it make sense to have, say, cloud-based infrastructures, because this is all data that is being generated outside your, your core enterprise environment, but at the same time, you still want to kind of have a view of what's going on across your fleet of vehicles that you're selling or what is going on across your different product lines. Uh, is one uh, year of a model uh, having more problems uh, than other years of models, do I become more proactive in terms of recalls and things like that? And can I do recalls more selectively um, so that I don't need to recall all 60,000 cars? I'm recalling 1,000 cars that have a very specific issue in a particular batch number that is not related to all the cars. So in those scenarios, we see a very good fit for what could be a cloud-to-ground model where you have the on-prem um, big data platforms with all their core enterprise data sets, but then you also have the cloud-based platforms and a lot of these cloud-based platforms can have a kind of distinction between the compute and the storage layer where the data that is being fed from these vehicles or those devices or sensors can be written into the storage layer. But then as you need to do the computation on that data, you spin up the clusters on demand, you do the computation, you save the results back into the persistent storage layer, but also which, have uh, a which in the, in the cloud it doesn't have to be HDFS anymore, right? It could be one of exactly. the object it, stores. It, yeah, it could be an object storage platform like S3 or um, Azure Block Storage, um, and then uh, you have that elasticity model. Then you also have a persistent storage model, 
And then you need to also have a persistent metadata model so that you know what data sets came in, how much data came in for that data set, where is it located, so that as you bring up these uh, compute clusters on demand, you can rely on the persistent metadata model to be able to pers uh, compute or, or kind of process the persistent data models. Yeah, and I guess uh, a little bit of change in mindset there because uh, one, the data is now shared across uh, many clusters, right? Because they, they live in this uh, object store and, and the compute clusters can be transient they can be created when needed. Yes, so security and governance and data management is I think one of the key things there because I mean we already see customers that have different lines of businesses and each line of business has their own virtual private cloud um, that is provided by your cloud service provider and they're spinning up their environments in those different virtual cloud uh, virtual private clouds but they're part of the same company now if you want to do correlation some data may be in an s3 bucket in this vpc and some data may be in an s3 bucket in another vpc and how do you do the correlations and things like that it becomes important so you need to have a strategy in terms of kind of the security and the governance model who can access what data how do you create a catalog of all the different data sets so that you know what data assets do you have in the cloud in your on-prem environment and provide that end-to-end -end view to your data consumers? And uh, by the way, you have to have some kind of IT uh, framework in place to cut down your costs as well, right? Because you don't want IT to be just bringing up cluster up and down whenever they want, because that gets expensive too. Oh yeah, I mean, that is where we have been seeing more and more trends and that's where we kind of fit in with our Bedrock platform, where um, what we have been doing is that allowing our customers to be able to define these end-to-end -end data pipelines, where say they can schedule things to run at a certain period of time or after a certain amount of data has been aggregated. And in that scenario, what we would do is we will transparently bring up the compute layer to process the data um, in a transient way and then be able to kind of turn down those transient clusters without any human touch, uh, all based on kind of predefined configuration and automation that is part of the platform. So there, there's the notion of uh, being self-service, which is uh, particularly uh, uh, common concept in the big data and Hadoop world. So are you seeing uh, customers uh, asking for this capability? It's funny that you bring up, I mean, I just had like two calls today in both calls. One of the key uh, themes was that we want to provide data as a service to our consumers as we build the data lake platform, how can we do that, right? So what we're seeing increasingly as a trend is that as these data lake architectures are being put in place, um, that is still a technology function, still an IT function to bring in the data, to kind of hydrate the data lake, if you will, to be able to do the analytics, to be able to provide it to the data scientists, to be able to write code and deploy their models and kind of uh, examine those those models but one of the things is that how do i bring in my business users closer to data lake and that is where we see this self-service and 
citizen kind of data consumers being able to consume the data data in the data lake, do their own transformations, do their own enrichments of the data, being able to create the insights, and then being able to publish the new insights back in the data lake for um, sharing across the organization is an important trend and is something that um, is key for these data lake um, initiatives to be successful because but, but also once requires, you get the, I think I, I, I think it will also require some kind of uh, cultural shift in the sense that uh, in the old enterprise data warehouse days when uh, there was this kind of blessed data source and then people would run queries against this data source and maybe they would get roughly the same answer <laughs> So now there's also the possibility of people getting different answers, but I think that's okay because uh, people are exploring. It's you know, and then they can, as long as it's something that's reproducible, they can check each other's work, right? Right, and then if you think about it, who is who used to bless them? So I mean, there used to be a central authority, the, the high priest them. of IT, right? Ben. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so, can you democratize the blessing process? is something that uh, needs to be thought about, right? Because, okay, the central data authority or um, uh, that office kind of having control is great, but the thing is they have to, because th the volume of the data is growing and different types of data is growing, they don't have control over all the data sets that is being brought into this environment. So for them to be blessing every single new data set that is onboarded is going to slow down the innovation and the agility that is needed from the platform. So I think a good mix of top-down um, approaches of data management and data governance, along with a bottom-up kind of approach from a ratings, from a crowdsourced kind of governance model is something that needs to be thought about as, as part of the data lake management. So I'd like to close by talking about something that's actually quite popular in the Strata plus Hadoop world community, which is uh, real time or near real time. I know that uh, one of the things that uh, has changed a lot in the last few years is uh, these technologies like uh, what you folks have at Zaloni, the combination of Hadoop, Spark, and uh, a few other things have uh, given people tools to do near real-time decision-making, whereas before maybe reports get refreshed once a day, now they can get refreshed in minutes. And that really changes uh, things for people, for example, for media companies that can now really look at results of campaigns uh, in near real-time. Yeah, so definitely, I mean, uh, being able to consume data in uh, a near real-time manner and also be able to process the data to drive the insights in a near real-time is is a real use case, right? So there are multiple of those use cases that we have seen. Uh, but then also, I, I think you bring up Spark and other things. Being able to, as, as you think about self-service and being able to bring in business users, they have certain expectations um, on kind of latency and uh, being lower uh, based on their experience previously in the data warehouse or the traditional data uh, database world. So as you bring in those consumers with their favorite BI visualization tool, there is need for a low latency serving layer 
that can run on top of the data lake environment in a converged manner so that you're not shuffling data back and forth between the serving layer and the processing layer so that that becomes kind of the reference architecture for the data lake in the future. Well, this has been great. And uh, thank you, Ben Sharma, for uh, joining us today. Thank you, Ben, and uh, great talking to you again.